Hey, this is Rob Harder with Making Your World Better, a nonprofit leadership show where real stories from real people who are coming up with real solutions to solve society's biggest challenges. What does it take to be an effective nonprofit leader today? How do people fundraise in an economy that is constantly in flux? How do you relate to board members in a way that inspires them to make a difference? What are the best practices that separate effective nonprofits from others? It is my hope that through these episodes, people can learn not only what it takes to be an effective nonprofit organization, but to hear real stories from real leaders who are successfully making a positive impact in their communities. We hope you enjoy this series as together we hear how they're making their world better. All of us have people who inspire us. In fact, I believe we need people in our lives who inspire us. Well, my guest today will not only inspire you, but has written a book about people who will inspire us all. My guest today is Gene Case. Gene is the chairman of the National Geographic Society and CEO of the Case Foundation. She is a philanthropist, investor, and an internet impact investing pioneer who advocates for the importance of embracing a more fearless approach to innovate and bring about transformational breakthroughs. She's also just written a book entitled Be Fearless. Gene set out to investigate the core qualities of great change makers, past and present. From inventors to revolutionaries, she found five surprising traits all had in common. Enjoy today's show. Well, Gene, thanks so much for calling in today. It's great to have you on the show. Great to be with you, Rob. Thanks for having me. Okay, Gene, so take us back to when you first started researching this book. What motivated you first to write this book? And what was your vision of how you wanted this book to impact people when they read it? Sure. Well, the title is Be Fearless. The subhead is probably equally important, which is five principles for life of breakthroughs and purpose. And to give you a little background, it was some number of years ago when the Case Foundation undertook some research to look at the core qualities of change makers, entrepreneurs, and innovators really across time and across sectors. And what we found was pretty surprising, and that was the presence of these five simple principles wherever transformational change took place. But probably more exciting even than the principles is we were able to debunk a myth that exists out there and stops a lot of people from taking their ideas forward. And that myth is, oh, that can't be me, or you need to have some special genius, or graduate from the right school, or have connections. Turns out that's really not the case, and I brought storytelling to the book uh, to bring the principles alive, uh, but basically it's a clarion call for people who have ideas and want to take them forward. That's really interesting. Well, you set out to investigate the core qualities of great change makers, and in your research, you found five surprising traits they all had in common. So talk about what those five traits are. Sure. Well, the first is make a big bet. And we like to say make a big bet and make history. The idea there is not to aim for incremental change, but to take a really big idea forward. Wherever we've seen transformational breakthroughs and change, it started with a big idea. I'm always quick to say that the big ideas are arrived at through smaller incremental steps, but never lose sight of sort of that north star that you have out there. Uh, the second is be bold, take risks. And there the idea is, if you're trying something new by its very nature, you're going to have to take some risks. So dig deep. And I give a lot of tips and techniques in the book about how to look at risk, how to measure your own risk tolerance, the difference between measured and reckless risk. So the risk principle sets up the third principle pretty well, which is make failure matter. You know, if you're out there taking risks, 
trying new things and experimenting. By its very nature, you're probably not going to, you know, bat a thousand. So there might be some times where you have setbacks or failures. Making failure matter means taking the lessons from those failures, applying them as you move forward, um, and really sort of refining and perfecting your idea along the way. The fourth is reach beyond your bubble. The idea there is that great breakthroughs have come really not from that myth of a lone genius, but from teams that bring different qualities and different backgrounds together, and unlikely partnerships often as well. Um, the fifth is let urgency conquer fear. You know, Rob, you may be familiar with Martin Luther King's line about the fierce urgency of now. And what we see in change making is often it's when someone feels a sense of urgency in the moment, it can push them out of their comfort zone toward action about something that they care about. Well, Jane Goodall was one of the key figures you focused on in your book. Now, a lot of people, of course, know a lot about her. Why don't you tell us about Jane from your experience and from your opinion, what really sets her apart? Well, as you know, Rob, I'm chairman at the National Geographic Society, and Jane is probably one of our most celebrated explorers and residents. You know, uh, her life story was made into a movie just a few years ago that we did at National Geographic, a really compelling story of a young woman in the early 1960s who had a passion for animals and wanted to spend her life working with animals. So she took herself to Africa and began working in the field with chimpanzees. And here she is, a woman who at that time didn't have any higher education. And some of the research she did was truly groundbreaking. And it broke the mold, quite frankly, for how chimpanzee research had been done up until that point. She likes to say what she didn't know was really a strategic advantage because it allowed her to study new things and new ways that changed the field forever. Um, so she is truly an iconic, uh, fearless symbol. Now, of course, she went on to get her Ph.D. at Cambridge um, and has spent the rest of her life in the field. But today she works on so much more than just animal research. She has a real passion for the world. I was honored that she wrote the foreword to the book. Well, that's a nice endorsement of your book. Now, besides authoring this new book and chairing the National Geographic Society, you spend a lot of time overseeing the Case Foundation, of course. You and your husband, Steve, co-founded it. And as I understand it, you set out to create programs and invest in people and organizations that really harness what you call the best impulses of entrepreneurship, innovation, technology, and collaboration in order to drive exponential impact. Give us an example or two of people or organizations that you've invested in. Yeah, and that, you know, that's a lot of words. I'm sure you felt it as you read it. <laughs> what we say that's a little simpler is we invest in people and ideas that can change the world. And there's really been a broad range of them. One um, grantee that we supported is a woman here in the Washington, D.C. area where I'm, uh, where I'm sitting today. Um, and her name is Dr. Barbara Van Dalen. And she was a sole practitioner in the mental health field when the war with Iraq and Afghanistan was calling a lot of military uh, servicemen and women, you know, into war and into battle. It was a little bit of a crisis in the Washington area because we have a disproportionate number of military families. Those families needed extra mental health support, and she noted the capacity wasn't there in the system to address it. So she started doing one hour a week of mental health pro bono counseling, 
And then she came up with this idea. What if we could create a national network of doctors who do the same thing and try to fill that capacity gap? Well, that's what she did. She was very successful. She got thousands and thousands of doctors around the world, I'm sorry, around the nation working with her, giving one hour a week. The organization is called Give an Hour. To date, it's given over $25 million uh, in free mental health care services. A great story of truly what I call an ordinary person who goes out and does something extraordinary. Okay, now talk about your foundation and how you interact with potential organizations. So, for example, if a person or nonprofit has a great idea or is doing great work, do they seek you out for funding and support? Or do you have a staff that researches potential organizations that you would like to support? How exactly does it work with your foundation and how do you select certain organizations to support? While we always welcome stories of great change makers across the world, we actually don't accept unsolicited grant proposals. How we operate as a foundation is a little unique in that our teams here do business plans once a year to really look out across the landscape with the question, where could we uniquely make a difference? We like to catalyze movements, stay in them for a period of time until they appear to be, you know, well shepherded by others, and then we move on. So today there are two key areas of focus at the Case Foundation. But again, what we call these tent poles or major initiatives can shift over time. We're very excited about the new realm of impact investing, which, uh, as you know, Rob, basically uh, harnesses uh, a new class of entrepreneurs and investors who are looking for companies that deliver more than just a financial return, but also create a social impact. It's an exciting time in impact investing. It's early days, but the momentum is very strong. Last year, uh, assets under management and impact investing more than doubled to $228 billion. And we think this focus, and it plays into that reach beyond your bubble principle that I talked about, where, you know, you combine both a very serious business focus with a real commitment to deliver financial returns with an equally serious focus on an area of social impact, and we just believe it can be transformational. Somewhat tied to that is what we call inclusive entrepreneurship. You know, Rob, we really need all the players on the field with their ideas today, but unfortunately most of the capital and mentoring has gone to only a subset of our society. So in our inclusive work, uh, we work on what we call race, place, and gender, African-American founders, people of color, who get a very small amount of venture capital today, women who only got 2% of the venture capital last year. And we really are focused on non-obvious places. In the U.S., last year, over 75% of the venture capital went to just three places, New York, Massachusetts, and California. And so this really is a clarion call to get all the players on the field, to back them with capital and support and mentoring, and that's why we call it inclusive entrepreneurship. Hey, everybody. Rob here. Thanks so much for listening to the Nonprofit Leadership Show. If this is your first time listening to us, I wanted to make sure you're aware of a whole group of other interviews with fascinating guests that I've previously interviewed. Just go to our website, nonprofitleadershippodcast.org, and there you'll find numerous interviews of nonprofit leaders from all over the country, even from different countries, all trying to make their world better. I think you'll really enjoy those interviews. 
Now, I also want to make sure you knew about a new feature. Um, we want to give you more content, and we'd like to get that information to you. And all you have to do is give us your email. When you go to that website, you can put your email address in that first box you'll see on the front page, and you'll be added to our monthly email update. In addition to some great content, you'll see the latest uh, podcast shows that will be actually sent right to your inbox. And that way, you'll never miss any of the great content on this show. The other thing I'll mention to you is if you have questions or comments or you'd like to be on the show, do not hesitate to email me. I'd love to hear from you. Just do that through our website, my email, rob at ccofpc.org. Well, thanks again for listening. Now back to the show. What's well, fascinating work that you're doing. And certainly social impact investing is growing every year. Now, I've also learned with your foundation that you really focus your efforts on those who are seeking ways to address today's chronic social challenges. Who's a person or nonprofit that you believe is really addressing the chronic challenges and is having a powerful impact today? Sure. Well, you know, I will point to someone who created a great NGO that didn't have a background in nonprofit at all, and that is the celebrated chef, Jose Andres. You know, Jose likes to call himself just a cook, but he's a chef who's had a lot of Michelin stars in his background. Of course, the highest possible attainment of excellence is a chef. But uh, Jose has a real heart for this world and a real sense of urgency about the needs out there. So as Hurricane Maria was threatening Puerto Rico, Jose went down with no organizational development background and set up um, a basically a food support system, emergency food support. And he just gathered a network of people, another great reach beyond your bubble. But it was a big bet that he could provide food security to the island following that disaster of Hurricane Maria when so many of our disaster relief organizations kind of fell down on food support. So he set out very simply, you know, the first chapter of the book is Start Right Where You Are, he started right where he was as a cook, and he started bringing together people. And the first day, he opened one kitchen, and his goal was to double what he was doing every day. Well, he did that and more. Before he was done, he served 3.7 million meals to the people of Puerto Rico. And today, he stayed on the island. I was just with him a few weeks ago across Puerto Rico on the ground looking at what they're doing. They're really trying to build more resiliency in terms of food supply for the island uh, that's sustainable, where they won't rely on others on the outside for their future food supply. What's interesting, you mentioned Puerto Rico. You know, it's not been in the mainstream news much recently, but I would guess there's still a lot of rebuilding that they're doing. I'm guessing there's a lot of work still to be done. And you just mentioned that you have been down there recently. I wonder what you could report about how Puerto Rico is doing with their rebuilding efforts. Oh, yeah. In fact, I wrote a piece on this because as I moved across Puerto Rico, I sort of felt like I might have been peeking into the future a little bit. The passion and the urgency that the people on the ground feel to basically become sustainable in their own right. So you have farmers who are, you know, deploying solar panels on their small farms. You have neighborhoods that are growing gardens to make sure that that neighborhood will not be without food if there was to be a disaster that kept imports from happening. You had food truck people providing, you know, food in what we know in the United States as food deserts and lower income areas where there aren't restaurants and healthy choices of food. So it was across a very broad spectrum, including, by the way, I spent the the last of my days talking to the fishermen on the ground in Puerto Rico who have adopted much more sustainable practices in their fishing, knowing that that's how they're going to secure the future of fishing for the island. 
Okay, so the Case Foundation, you and your husband started it. You're the CEO currently. And you mentioned earlier that race, place, and gender is kind of your inclusive focus for where you put your support. So for my listeners, what would you like them to know about the strategic efforts the Case Foundation is focused on currently? Yeah, well, I think it's important to know that we see the foundation as a living laboratory. Um, And I talk about this extensively in the book. But frankly, Rob, uh, a lot of that has to do with my own background. You know, I was born in a small town in Illinois called Normal. I was the youngest of four kids being raised by a single mom. So I think, you know, there's two things that we've tried to bring to this work I have specifically. You know, having been a recipient of philanthropy really informed and shaped my views about how to reach into communities and make a difference. And I think it's a unique American story to be going from being a recipient to being in a position where you can then help others later in life. And that's really shaped a lot of our work here. Um, But also our careers, for both my husband and myself, our private sector careers were in technology. And so we've been very very uh, strongly positioned toward the power of technology to lift others and to empower others. So everything from our first initiative, which was a large digital divide initiative, where we reached into low-income communities and we put together, together with partners, over a 1,000 um, community technology centers in low-income communities to increase the access to the Internet, you know, back in the day when many didn't have it. And that's still a challenge in some communities today. But I would say if you look at our portfolio of things we've done across time, we have been highly collaborative, cross-sector in most of what we do, and technology usually plays some role. And I talk a lot about this in the book. I had not heard that part of your story. Thanks for sharing that today. That, that's powerful. I'm sure your experience growing up with a single mom has shaped your perspective, not only on life as a whole, but specifically how you lead the Case Foundation. Now, back to your book. Um, in addition to the names we've all heard of, you've also highlighted some people in the book that perhaps people have never heard of. So maybe give us like an example or two of someone we've not heard of, perhaps, but we should have heard about because of their change-making impact. Yeah. Well, you know, it's going to be another food-related story. And believe me, there's a lot more in the book than just about food. But there's a great story of a young social entrepreneur, Rachel Sumka, who started something called Swipe Out Hunger. When Rachel was in college at UCLA, she learned about the food insecurity of college students. And I could relate to this because when I went to college, I, you know, what, did so on financial aid and had enough financial aid to pay my tuition, but not enough um, for actually, you know, to provide food supplements. And so what they did, they started on UCLA campus, she and uh, her co-founder, just kind of asking people to donate food. And, you know, that, that was okay for a little while, and then it wasn't. And they came upon the idea of using the swipe, basically, you know, the the um, card that students carry around that you can swipe in the cafeteria to pay for your meal. Usually parents load that card at the beginning of the year with a certain amount of money on it, and then it's almost like an ATM card. They just draw from it with each meal. Well, she found out that there were usually hundreds of thousands of dollars that college campuses uh, took back from those cards at the end of the year that were unused. So with Swipe Out Hunger, they proposed that what if we could use those unused swipes to let people who can't afford a meal have one. 
Well, that's what they've done. Today, they're on over 60 campuses around the United States. Last year, the governor of California wrote a new law and gave funding to the rest of the California university system to deploy Swipe Out Hunger on their campuses. So here she is, you know, a a college student who sees a problem and comes up with a way to solve it. And it's a great story of an ordinary person doing something pretty extraordinary. I love that story. Thanks for sharing that. Well, you travel all over the world and you interact with all kinds of people. And one of the questions I ask a lot of my guests is this, what gives you hope today? And so for you, both as a CEO of the foundation and someone who's just seen a lot of our world, what gives you hope today? Sure. Well, it is a time, I think, as I travel out and about, and this has been true for years, but today um, I travel out and about and I see people a little bit gripped with fear and discouragement. But I am actually encouraged because, you know, what I also see is people everywhere have ideas, as I mentioned earlier. And I wrote the book to be a playbook to help people get started in taking their ideas forward of how to make a better world. And what gives me inspiration are the people I see everywhere from all walks and backgrounds who are doing just that. I tried to take the benefit of decades of traveling into communities and villages around the world in the United States and share some of the most inspiring stories I've come across. But hopefully, so any of your listeners or readers of the book will say, I see something of myself in this story, and it inspires me now to take the first step. Okay, first of all, tell us where we can find your book, and then I have a feeling as people read your book, they're going to want to get to know a little bit more about you and perhaps the Case Foundation and even the National Geographic Society. So where would you send them if they'd like to find out more about you and the Case Foundation specifically? Well, you can go to readbefearless.com and learn a lot more about the Case Foundation and the book. The Case Foundation has a website, casefoundation.org, and if you do slash be fearless, you'll get even more resources around these principles and stories. I'm on Twitter as Jean Case, and you can follow the Case Foundation on Twitter, on Instagram, or Facebook. Well, thanks for that. Again, my guest today has been Jean Case, who is the chairman of the National Geographic Society and CEO of the Case Foundation. She has a new book out called Fearless. And to my listeners, you got just a small snapshot of the very many stories that are very inspiring in her book, and I encourage you to get it. Once again, Jean, thank you for being on the show today. Thanks, Rob. Well, thanks again for listening to the show. It's time for my bonus content. Now, you have heard today just a few stories from Jean of people that have really inspired her. Stories of people really making a difference in their own ways all over the world. And this is what the show is all about, really, is making a difference in your world. So here's my bonus content. It's actually a challenge in the form of a question. Who inspires you? I actually would love to hear from you. Send me an email. You can just go to the website, nonprofitleadershippodcast.org. You can find a place where you can just send me an email. I would love to hear about a story or an organization, again, that inspires you. Uh, Everyone needs stories that inspire them. Everyone needs people that inspires them. And I would love to hear from you today. Well, that is it for the show. Thanks again for listening to the Nonprofit Leadership Podcast. And until next time, keep making your world better.
wanted to let you know that we are on iTunes. If you are wondering how to find out where we are, check us out on iTunes by typing Nonprofit Leadership Podcast or Rob Harder, and this podcast should show up. We also encourage you, when you go on iTunes, let us know what you think. Give us a review. Give us a rating. We would love to hear what you think of this podcast, and your feedback will help us expand this podcast to get it out to as many people as we can. You can also go online to listen to this podcast, either nonprofitleadershippodcast.org or my website, robharder.com. Thanks again for listening, and until next time, keep making your world better. Thank you.